Hello and welcome to Trick Talkers, a podcast about trick takers, shedders, climbers, and other card games. I'm Ryan, and there's no Patrick today since he is currently on vacation in Jamaica, the lucky sod. Uh, however, today is not going to be a Ryan Rambles episode, even though it seems like it right now. In fact, we actually have a special guest with us today. It is the one and only Daniel Newman. Welcome, Daniel. Hello. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. You saved me and most importantly, the listeners to another Ryan Rambles episode. <laughs> so the thanks all goes to you. I do what I can, Ryan. I appreciate it. Well, today's going to be a jam-packed episode already, so I think we should just get straight to it. But before we dive into the games, in case for whatever crazy reason listeners aren't aware of who you are, we've talked about you on the show many times, we've talked about your games, but if you want to just give yourself a quick introduction, just in case. Sure. Uh, I'm a game designer, uh, lately mostly trick-taking games. Um, Mori is probably one of my latest, an Enemy Anemone and Reapers, uh, and then I've also, um, I started a little publishing company called New Mill Industries a few years ago with uh, my friend Tony Miller. Uh, and lately, uh, I've kind of taken it over and I've, we're just doing trick-taking games. So you may be familiar with our most recent Kickstarter for uh, Taiki Shinzawa's uh, Charms and Inflation, uh, which did quite well. And we've got uh, some pre-orders going on right now, which we can talk about later if we've got some time. Absolutely. Lovely stuff coming from New Mill. It's always exciting seeing the new things. I know you just had a email newsletter come out that had your timeline of everything it's oh, yeah. very exciting i've got a lot of cool stuff coming up for the next uh, year or so and i might be on the verge of assigning a couple more so uh yeah a lot to look forward to cool well yeah like i said let's get right into it very jam-packed today daniel and i were able to play some games together at what was called a malt con m-a-l-t which stood for mid-atlantic league of trick-taking it was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It was hosted by the lovely John Barron, the designer of Tricky Time Crisis. He got about, was it maybe 10 or 12 of us together? I think there were 12 at the most, uh, at the, the peak of it. Yeah. Yeah. And we were just in an Airbnb for the weekend playing a boatload of trick-taking games. So we're here to talk about all of those games that we played, the atmosphere and everything that sort of surrounded the I guess convention, but I think of it more as just a get together, really. It's like a little buddy con. Yeah. Which I think is great. Those are kind of the best kind. It's very small. Absolutely. Everyone's together. We were on the same floor. We had three different tables going. You could hear and see all the games going at the same time. So you could always be a part of every table, really, if you wanted to. We had quite a few games that, that folks brought, uh, which was very cool, too. Just the number of uh, options. Yeah, for the always nice. You expect there to be like 12 copies of the crew around, but we had right. a good diversity of games available in our collection, which is nice. Yep, yep. Well, so the day started or the weekend started on Friday where a few of us met at a bar that was about 10 minutes away from the Airbnb since we all arrived before check-in. So we were able to play a few games there. And the first one we started off with was Pepper or it's been renamed to Jalapeno, designed by Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer. And at the point with the bar, all of the games we played uh, was at six players. So, of course, once you're starting to get a trick-taking games, it's a little harder when you get to that high play count to find a really good game, unless it's Texas Showdown. But right. with as many games as we had in our collection... We had some options, and I think this was your copy, right, Daniel? It was, yeah. This was one I picked up uh, when I was in Japan at one of the uh, game stores in Tokyo. 
which is a game I had heard of and and but I hadn't played and I hadn't heard much about it. Um, but I saw Keesley and Kramer and I I never turned down the opportunity to try one of theirs. Um, so yeah, so and it was it's you know played at least six players. I think it goes up to like nine or something. I think you can play that with a pretty big number. Uh, not a trick taker, but kind of in that trick taking adjacent kind of family. Um, I had a good time with it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was pretty good. It's sort of in the same vein of being a trick avoidance game, because ultimately you don't want points. You can take tricks, right. but as long as you give the peppers back away, you won't be taking points. Now, for every game we go over today, I also want to mention, we're not going to explain the nitty gritty of all the rules. We'd be here for like four hours if we did, because <laughs> we're about to go through like 20 some games right now. But mainly yeah. just giving you kind of the vibe and the idea of that game and if we liked it or not and, and how it went for our group. But this was one of those that even at six players, it played really quickly, too. It was fast. Yeah, it was a nice warm up game. It was definitely like it's not one that I'm going to it'd be like super excited to like, hey, everybody, let's play this. But if you're trying to like wrap up a night or, or start kind of ease into something, you got a bunch of people. Uh, it's yeah, it was a fun one. Yeah, it's a very good bar setting one, too. It's just it's a quick sure. slinging cards, drinking, finishing our food. It was very light for sure, but yep. still a bit spicy on the gameplay with that. Those points. Oh, I thought Patrick wasn't here. Today. I know. I, I got to fill in at least one pun while Patrick's gone in his honor. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, moving on. The next game we played was Scratch and Scramble. This is designed by Manny Dominguez, the same designer of the Academy, which we've talked on a previous episode. This is an early print-and-play prototype version that I had that, we again, we played at six players. And this one does a really cool and interesting mechanic where there's a dog, cat, and a mouse that go around players' hands, almost like hot potato. Depending on if you're winning or losing the trick when you play your card, these animals will move. And essentially, the cat is trying to chase the mouse in players' hands and catch up to that player. And if you have them both in your hand when you lose a trick, you're going to score negative points for your trick instead of positive. So it's really cool. I, we all had a great time with it, I think. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's definitely not something I'd seen before in a trick-taking game, having these cards kind of chasing around the table. Uh, and it led to some really tense moments where you're hoping that you can play uh, and fall and, and win, rather, um, so you can avoid getting you know the, the card getting past you and get the other cards out of your hands. And, yeah, no, it was super cool. It seemed a little weird with the dog. Just like I'm trying to think about, you know, like what stands out to me, but like the movement of the dog seemed a little awkward. But there was one point where the dog actually passed the cat or, so, or passed the mouse or something, right? That we weren't expecting. Yeah, well, because the cat moves so fast because one right. of the suits makes the cat move beyond the normal trick play that makes each card move. So there's times where the cat will move like 10 spaces and the dog and the mouse are only moving like three or four yeah yeah. so it was able to make that weird connection but i do agree and the the dog felt a little weird and you only use the dog at higher player counts i think it's like right. three and four you just use cat and mouse but i was talking about to manny about ways to try and help the dog and oh, nice. i told him the idea that using one of the other non-trump suits that moves the cat making it move the dog as well. Yeah, I think we, we talked about a couple of things after the play because it's hard. Like you get some game designers together or people who review <laughs> games and like you can't help but want to make it better, right? Yeah, exactly. The one thing too, which was really funny about that play is it definitely takes a little bit to get in the groove of moving mm -hmm. the animals. 
So the first hand was a little slow for everyone, but eventually we all got on the pace of, okay, I'm winning, move my animal. I'm losing, right. everyone else Everybody move their animal. Yep. So it was sort of a group effort where we were all working together, which I actually think is really cool because it keeps everyone it engaged the entire time. Yeah, totally. Very neat. Uh, anything else you want to say on that one before we move on? I think we can keep going. Awesome. Well, next one then is going to be Cliffhanger. Might also see it as Zeigenkriegen. This is designed. Ziegenkriegen. Ziegenkriegen. There we go. Uh, designed by Gunter Burkhart. And this one is also in that vein of not really a trick taker, but it is a trick taker because there's no suits. It's just deck of one to 50. But it has a very fun push your luck sort of busting element where you're trying to collect the cards in the trick to get a certain number of points, but you don't know what that bust value is going to be until after halfway through the hand. Yeah, this one reminds me a little bit, not in the gameplay, but in the style of game as like Turn the Tide, uh, Land Unter. And that like, it's not trick taking, but people who enjoy trick taking will also enjoy these kind of games. Um, I like this one quite a bit. I'd only played it previously online. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it, it thought it worked really well uh, on the table. And we, we played this at six as well, uh, which was surprising that it worked so well at that count. Yeah, it's one of those where you aren't going to you're not going to get that many tricks so make your tricks count which i think is also right. really cool because it really makes you decide of oh there's eight paw prints out there already if i play this card to win i'm going to get 10 the bust value at three tricks is only at six i'm probably going to bust on this one trick do i take it or not and the funny thing is that losing right being the lowest i think in the play lets you determine like the size of the island so yeah. Losing early gives you more control over the bus value. Uh, so taking tricks early is actually really dangerous because you might wind up with way too many points and it's somebody else that gets to uh, gets to determine whether you bust or not. Yeah, there's a lot of decisions in just those first four tricks and then the final four yeah. of how you set yourself up to either pass or fail and get the right points or not. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing this one again. Yeah, I know uh, you have a copy and Nav's about to get yep. a copy. I sent Probably. him mine, so <laughs> you'll have plenty of copies in your game group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be good. Well, moving on to the last game that we played in the bar before we headed to Airbnb is certainly not going to be the best for last. I think this is probably actually the worst <laughs> for last, unfortunately. Yeah. And that was Cabaret. This is designed by Patrick Dillon and Adam Whitney. And I believe this is also your copy. I think everything we played at the... Everything except for Scratch and Scramble. That's true. That, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's very true. Well, your bag was very daunting on the table, just looking at everybody right. saying, play me, play me. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I just filled my bag with like 40 or something trick tickers that I, were on my uh, need to play list. So yeah. uh, I, was, I, had, I had motivation to get them on the table. Yeah, what better way than a big, long con weekend like that? Exactly. So Cabaret was one that uh, when I was designing Enemy Anemone, which was uh, a must-not-follow trick-taker, it was recommended to me uh, as another must-not-follow trick-taker. So at the time, there weren't all that many. Now we've got, over the last year, another four or five have come out, which has which been pretty great. Um, but Cabaret is, is from a, a few years ago. I don't remember the date exactly, but uh, and it's you know also uh, a suit per player and, and must-not-follow. And I don't know, it just didn't quite sing the way that some of these other ones and maybe we're just spoiled for choice at this point uh, with a lot of the cool things that that other must not follow uh games have come out in the last last year but yeah i don't know it just didn't quite work for me uh, and i know you felt 
kind of similarly, yeah? Yeah, I think there was a lot of moving parts that didn't really gel well together. The fact that you only cared about a specific color that you to score must right. not follow means you're pretty limited on what you can play, especially in a six-player game, even though there are six suits. It's more or less you were just trying to mitigate who you were giving points to that would win the trick. Right, right. Like if I knew you were winning, I didn't want to give you a high number in your color because your color is the only thing that scores. Exactly. That's all you could really consider. Yeah, just, yeah, I don't know. And there was this whole thing with the mimes that you had that only were played when you couldn't, when you were the whole, <laughs> it must not not follow. If you if you right. had to follow, you'd play these mimes and they were worth two points a piece at the end of the game. But if somebody ran out of them, you'd score points. Like it never really happened. One player collected a lot right. of them, but no one ever lost them. So it's just, there's a lot of extra add-ons to it that made it, I think, more fiddlier than it needed to be. Yeah, yeah. Without actually adding to interesting decisions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, I know John bought your copy that weekend, so he seemed to enjoy it. So at least there was one out of six people at the table that liked it enough. So who knows? Maybe it might also be for you uh, if you're listening and want to check that out. I don't know how easily available it is to get. I think the way I got it, I just reached out to the publisher. I think maybe even through the, the original. It was a Kickstarter game. So if you do a search for Cabaret on Kickstarter, you might be able to find it. Oh, that's um, nice. But he, he seems to have copies available and, and he's selling them pretty inexpensively. And if you're just, I mean, you know, if you're really into Must Not Follow and you just want to see what else has been done, it's like it's definitely worth checking out and getting a play in. And it's not super expensive. So uh, if that, yeah, if it sounds like you want to play around with it. And maybe it's better at lower player counts also, right? Like we played it at six. Sometimes games don't work as well at six. Uh, and it might be more interesting at, at a lower count. So I wouldn't write it off completely, but... It did become a bit of a running joke, uh, people offering to <laughs> to sell their copies of Cabaret over the weekend. It did, yeah. It was pretty funny. All right, well. Shall we move on? I think we shall. So at this point, we've now headed. Through. We do. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're spending lots of time. <laughs> but we'll get through it. <laughs> yeah. So moving on to the Airbnb, the first game we played was Extreme Tricks, designed by Masato Uesugi. But we did a tournament for extreme tricks and i think daniel you're probably itching to explain what the prize was for this tournament i am i am well so first uh ryan like earlier that week had shared uh the print and play files of extreme trick and i knew he had a copy and i thought oh if i make a copy then we'll have multiple and then we could set up like you know a bunch of people at once and run this tournament and on the drive to the airbnb i stopped at a rest area and they had uh tech decks for sale so I could not pass them up. I bought uh, three tech decks, uh, one for the winner, one for the runner-up, and then obviously I needed to take one home for myself, which I, uh, I hid in my bag. Uh, so then, yeah, we got to the Airbnb, and, and I was I was kind of itching to get to it. And uh, we set up two tables of three, both with a copy of Extreme Tricks. And then the top two winners of both tables would compete for the coveted tech decks. Unfortunately, Ryan and I were the only losers in those two games uh, that ran before the final. Uh, so we only each played Extreme Tricks once and then played some other things while that final championship game was, was ongoing. It did, yeah. It was great to see because we did, when we did the two three player games, we made sure the missions were the same as well. So that way yeah. both tables were using the exact same missions. And then the final four player game, had completely brand new missions that didn't repeat. So that gave everybody nice uh, 
challenge on changing up the missions, but I know that final game took a long time for them. So you and I got quite a few games played in <laughs> and conversation. I think we played like four different games while that. Oh, yeah, no, three games three while games. the uh, the extreme tricks, the final was going. There was a teach in between every game. There was conversation there was. between every game. So it definitely yeah. took them a yeah. while. But it was great to see. It was really cool. I think everybody just that was a unanimous decision that that was a really good game that came away. Yeah, one of the best of the weekend, I think, if you were to ask folks on the way out. Yeah. Yeah. So as Daniel alluded to, there were some two player games that we had played while we were waiting. The first one we played was Wizards Cup by Seiji Kanai. You're probably familiar with his work, such as Love Letter. That's a very popular one. But Wizard's Cup is a two-player dueling game. It's one that I've talked about on the podcast before. Patrick and I are both pretty big fans of it. I taught it to uh, Daniel, and he is less of a fan of it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's less my style of game. Um, I enjoyed playing it. I enjoyed learning it. Uh, I've already sold it. <laughs> uh, and I think, <laughs> Things you know, moved I can quickly see... that weekend. Things did move quickly this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came back and I listed stuff, and I've already sold half of, uh, half of the ones that I didn't want anymore. Um, but it's cool. It's, you know, it definitely like I can see the love letter DNA in it. It's just like it's the game that person would design several years later. Right. Um, a little more complicated. It's interesting for sure. But yeah, definitely not one that I would I would necessarily choose to play. No, that's fair. But it plays really quick. So that one we got through teach and game and, you know, 15 minutes. So. Pretty fast. Yeah. And it, I do really think it's it's neat that you play like three rounds with the exact same cards knowing what your opponent has and like trying to get in their head about what order they're going to play them in like it's it's a very cool concept yeah the bluff double bluff aspect yeah all right after that we moved on to 535 but it was the new korean version oh meow bao which is designed by kenichi kabuki and I'm sure you've heard us talk plenty about 535 on this podcast, seeing as Portland Game Collective brought the <laughs> English edition over. And the Oh Meow Bao version, I'm going to go on record and say, I think, is the prettier looking version. It's <laughs> I think definitely you'd agree. cute. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. It was funny. I was kind of lukewarm on 535 when I played it before. And the dog and cat art in this somehow won me over. And I'm not usually like an art person. Like, it's not the most important thing to me. But. Having them side by side, I for some reason really just enjoyed this play better than my five three five play before. Um, so I'm probably going to hold on to this one. Nice, yeah. It's I feel like it's a little more inviting. Of course, the scoring tokens being poop tokens is always funny. So doesn't hurt. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> now I do want to talk about our gameplay just a little bit here because I'm very proud of the way this oh. game turned out. I, I know you're ready for brutal. it. Brutal. It was brutal. <laughs> So within the first hand, Daniel was up 10 to 0. I had 10 points. Daniel had 0. And points are bad in this game. Once you get to 20 points, you lose. Hence the poop tokens. Hence the poop tokens. And I clawed my way back. We probably ended up playing, what, six, eight hands? Something it, like that? It went, it, yeah. Yeah, it went the it was, full. It was long for this for this style game. Exactly. But, oh but, my. but it was tense because, yeah, yeah. It was so tense. It was like every hand I was eking out two, three points from you. You were gaining them slowly. I had one round where you got like eight points. And all of a sudden, it was like 16, 15 or something. Yeah. And I got you on the last hand. Oh, man, it felt so good. <laughs> well, I wanted to cry and curl up <laughs> under the table. Oh, it was great. No, that was it was a good time. 
All right, moving on to the next one. I'm sure this is going to be really quick, and that is yes. <laughs> that is drones versus seagulls, designed by Leo Blandin and Delphine Robert. Uh, we played one hand of this, correct? We did finish the one hand. Yeah, and then I asked that we not continue. <laughs> it was really not a game for me. Uh, it's you know, it's a it's a lane battler, right? You would call it in yep. the in the realm of. Um, Oh, shot and totten, shot and totten. Yeah, yeah, yeah which i've played a couple of those and they're just they're not my style of game um this one does some cool stuff uh with kind of the abilities that trigger when you win a lane uh and i can appreciate what it was doing but uh we finished and i was i was kind of ready to move on no that's fair and it, it makes sense that wizard's cup and drones versus seagulls were the two games of like the whole weekend that you didn't oh, yeah. really get with because they're similar vibe for sure so it, they are. it, it makes they are. sense but I love this game so much. We had time. It was there. So I'm like, let's just see. But yeah, I expected it wasn't going to go too long. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I do enjoy learning some of these games that I might not super be into just to say that I played them, you know, and just to see what else is out there. So uh, no regrets. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, what this whole weekend is for, too. Absolutely. Is, is Absolutely. Jumping and diving into games that you'd probably otherwise never get to play. Yep. We've got a couple more of those coming up. <laughs> <laughs> that we do. And next up is open designed by takashi saito and this one was unfortunately a little bit of a bummer for me i was very excited to get this played you even had the deluxe copy i own the original one but we played your deluxe version and you had not played it before right correct that was one that had been on my uh shelf for months so i was very much looking forward to it yeah i i had played open once last year uh and I wasn't super crazy about it, but I also hadn't played a lot of climbing games in general before. Uh, and I played a bunch since. So I was, and I, then I saw the, um, the deluxe version at Tokyo game market and I picked it up because it, it looks nice and has these cool little dials. Um, and I thought I'd give it another try. Um, I didn't dislike it as much this time, but it still didn't really win me over. Um, I'm kind of debating whether I even want to keep it or not. Um, it does some really interesting things within the kind of climbing genre but i think just as a game it's not super strong yeah it does really cool twists like the fact that you have four cards face up on the table and two hidden and everyone else is uh, guessing who they think is going to go out first is a fun almost shared incentive way of looking at a climbing game because you still want to go out first to score the most points for you but if you bet on somebody else then yeah, you, you need them to go out first to get the bonus points and hope that everyone else guessed differently than you. But in our play, I think maybe three of the hands, we all guessed the same color because the four cards that were face up were just so clearly the player that was going to go out first. And they went out yeah. first that it yeah. it wasn't clever. And I felt like there needs to be either one less card face up on the table or I don't know, but yeah, it, it it wasn't as good as I was hoping, unfortunately. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, it was weird that we guessed the same people almost every hand, <laughs> or yeah. at least two people guessed the same person almost mm-hmm. every hand, because um, it did seem a little obvious, like who you should, who would who would go out first. Yeah, you have uh, pairs of tens and an ace, like you have the best yeah. cards in the deck. You're gonna go out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right well moving on getting into a trick taker was shock knights with poison designed by jujin otsubu 
And we played this because you actually had requested me to bring my copy since I had the new deck for the revised edition for the new treasure cards. And you hadn't played this before. Correct. And yeah, you just talked about it on a, on a previous show. And it uh, it's one that I'd heard, you know, folks talking about, you know, kind of hard to get. And, and there's a number of people who seem to really enjoy it. It didn't really sound like one that I would uh, super love. But again, like I was saying, sometimes I just want to try them out. Because you never know, like something might surprise you um, if it's not necessarily the kind of game you like. Oh, yeah. Sometimes um, on paper, there's games you play that don't sound good, but then you play it and are amazing. And there's others that on paper right. you're going to love and you play it and you don't like it. So, uh, Right. Uh, unfortunately, this was not one of those. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did not love this one. Again, like I appreciate what it does. It's cool that it's like an ink and gold trick taker, um, but I'm not a big press your luck guy. Uh, and I never tend to do all that well with those. So, um, not surprisingly, I, I didn't, I didn't super love this one. Um, mm. but I did enjoy playing it. Uh, and I'm glad that you brought it and, and taught it. Yeah, it's a great time. And I, that's now my second play with the new deck, the new revised edition rules and everything. And nice. I truly think it is solidifying the fact that I do enjoy this new revised edition more. We still had the issue that I always mention every time with the poison deck or the treasure deck drawing two poisons right at the beginning because I think it was round two. The first I think it was two, the first round. Was, was it the first round? Yeah, okay, it was. I think it was the first time, yeah. Yeah, literally the very reset. first round. Yeah, the first <laughs> yeah. two treasure cards poll were the yellow poison. It was like, well, I told you it was going to happen, <laughs> and it did. Yeah, the first two cards back to back. <laughs> it's always a little upsetting, but if you... Try with my little variant thing. It obviously helps with that. But even if you don't, just playing as is, it's still, I think, a good time. If you, you like know what you're getting into, right? Like, yeah, you exactly. just go, okay, this is gonna, this could happen. Like, just reset, go again. Exactly. All right. Next up was Witch's Shot Delivery Service by Neko. This is Yagini. one I, I didn't play. Yeah. No, no, you're good. You're totally fine. Uh, this, this was a three player game, one of the very few games of the weekend that I didn't play with Daniel. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can't remember. Where, did you play another game at this point, or you, you know just... what? I think I ran downstairs to do a little Duolingo so Might that I didn't that. lose my uh, oh my your streak. streak. Yeah, that yeah. makes more sense because I remember you doing that. So it might have been about this time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was a three-player game that I had played, and I think that game's great. It's a hilarious parody on you know Amazon and delivering packages while you're not trying to break your back. It does a really cool thing where instead of bidding for the number of tricks you're going to take, you're bidding on the number of boxes you'll take. And each card mm. varies with the number of boxes they have. The lower the number, the more boxes, the higher number, the less boxes. And so you're looking at your hand, deciding how many of those you'll take, which is pretty cool. Um, it also plays pretty quick. It does have, in a way, player elimination, but not really. If you get three ouch tokens, you've like broken your back too much, you're going to get negative nine points. And the round ends when that happens, or the game ends, excuse me, at the end of that round. If you're getting negative nine points, you've pretty much all but lost. <laughs> so it can be a little punishing. eliminated, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes it's one of those where it's just like the poor get poorer. <laughs> mm. If you have a broken back, it's harder to stay under your limit, which means you're more likely to break your back even further, which means you're going to be scoring those negative points, so... There's that to it. But I think it's a great game. It's got a fun trump system where, you know, certain suits are ranked higher than others on a track. So good time. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. There is a PCIO room available if you ever want to play it online. Oh, nice. Yeah. You can at least check it out for your discovery list. <laughs> All right. 
All right. Well, next so up. Then after, ooh, yep. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm introducing them all too, but I know you're the guest on the show. You're more than welcome to introduce games if you'd like. <laughs> I was just going to say, after I finished my Japanese lesson uh, down in the creepy basement, uh, <laughs> I came back up and we played Tazuma Master. Uh, which is one that I've been wanting to try for a long time, uh, and I recently got a copy of. I believe you taught it because you had you had played it before, right? Yes, I have the print and play version, the Tazuma Moon version that Schultze. Ah, uh, the Sailor made. Moon. Yeah, the Sailor version. Moon yep. version. But I mean, gameplay is the same. It's just different art. Sure. Tazuma Master itself is very hard to get a hold of. Um, but yeah, I was able to teach it and. I went in letting you know ahead of time, hey, I think this game is great, except for the scoring cards are going to be a little problematic. And as our game showed, it did exactly that. Yeah, no, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, I like that you draft like your scoring condition and your little special ability. And uh, is it the pain suit? Yeah, like the, in, what like scores in negative yeah. for you, yeah. Right. Um, so it's cool. You can kind of set yourself up. And uh, I definitely like... I'm thinking about ways to make that game better. And and I think the first way would be just to completely retool those those scoring cards. Um but uh yeah, that's that's what I'm really glad we played. Yeah, the drafting of all your stuff always makes me want to describe it as essentially the trick takers game where you're drafting a character, but in this game you're drafting pieces of your character to create a full character, which is really cool. Yeah. To help listeners kind of allude a little closer to the scoring problem, there are two of the scoring cards that are just so clearly better than the others. Mm. There's one where you have to have a good hand for it to work, but in this game, it's pretty easy to have a good hand, especially if you have the high cards. But essentially, you just get a lot of points for taking a lot of tricks. It starts at about trick three and then beyond. You can get up to like 15 points. And then there's another one that's a little bit less points, but basically does the same thing. So those are just like, it doesn't matter. Take a lot of tricks, you'll be fine. Every other scoring card requires you to take a very specific number of tricks. And the range is so small and the points aren't anywhere near as big. Like there's one where it's yeah. you take zero tricks, it's no points. One trick, it's two. Three tricks, it's zero. Four tricks, it's four. The gap is so small that even if you do take four tricks, it was not really worth it. Right. So in our game, I was able to take that really good card three of the four rounds, and I and doubled was... everyone's score. Yeah, it was a slaughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you did. You literally doubled my score. I was the second runner up or the, you know, the, the second highest score. Yeah. You had twice as many points. Yeah, we eventually we were just like hate drafting that scorecard just so you couldn't have it anymore. Yeah, exactly. I was like, that's fine. I'll figure something else out because I was already so far yeah. ahead at that point. It didn't matter. <laughs> but I do think that it's, it's kind of a diamond in the rough. Like, I think a little attention, uh, kind of retooling and a, and a new edition of that could be super cool. So. Totally. The card play and abilities and everything is, is cool otherwise. So I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing where that goes, if, if anything like that does happen. Yeah. Well, that was the last game that I played Friday night. Was that? Your, I think we probably both kind of quit around the same time, yeah? Actually, no, we did one. did you play anything else after? We did one more. It must have been so late you didn't remember. Oh, you know what? I'm looking at, I'm looking at it. It's, it, was it was logged on the next day, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so sense. we did have one more that night. Yeah, one more, and this is a mouthful to end on. Yeah, I'll I made, let you say it. Okay. <laughs> I made a contract with the devil for the sake of my country, and it turned out to be a big deal. <laughs> designed by 138 games 
And boy, oh boy, is that a mouthful. But this game was actually a surprise hit for me. I really like this one. I was just really tired I yeah. think, at this point. Uh, so I was having a hard time just kind of staying engaged. That's um, fair. It also didn't help that we didn't have paste ups for all the contracts. Yeah. We're kind of all looking at our phones, trying to remember which contract was which and how it all worked. And it was, it was a lot for a last <laughs> night, last game of the night. Yeah, absolutely. We try to like line the contracts up based on the document we had on our <laughs> phone and lining up an order. And then, yeah, it took like five minutes to draft what could have taken 30 seconds. So yeah. it was a bit more fiddly uh, than it needed to be. However, I liked it so much that I've already created paste ups for those cards. So no they way. are out there. Uh, on the internet they're in the pgc server i put them on my github i'll link them into the show notes if you have that game and you need the pay stops for those they're there um, but essentially this game uses uh, a cool way of the trump system because there is uh, there there are four suits in the game but one of the suits is the trump suit that you only have access to if you make a deal with the devil which is essentially you bidding that you're going to get an exact number of tricks you have this card that says win exactly one two three four or five tricks you put a gem on there depending on the number of gems you place determines how many times you can draw from that trump deck so i think that's a really cool way of getting trump in your hand where players know you have some and you'll know other players won't so it's mm -hmm. a cool way to mitigate that and uh, forcing players into deciding to to make a deal if they really want trump in their hand I would like to play this one again when I'm not exhausted <laughs> and with English face ups. I think I would have a better time of it. Probably. Uh, I definitely saw the potential in it. I think the only round where I did well was when I went nil. And then I just continued to bid nil <laughs> the rest of the game. And it did not uh, turn out so well. But I only got away with it once. That's true. Yeah. yeah so that was the last game of the night, though. Because then yeah. the following morning, nice, bright, and early, we started to learn Stella Digger by Ryo Akase. And this, I think, was the game of the weekend for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's definitely the game we spent the most time on on the weekend. <laughs> Absolutely. And now the box does say it's going to be a 70-minute game play to play this game. And I don't think that's incorrect. Our game took yeah. significantly longer than that, but that was because we spent probably half the time figuring out the rules. Yeah, the, the rules translation wasn't super clear. We kind of muddled through it for a while. And it was first thing in the morning. So Yeah, it was like the just getting the game set up took 15 or so minutes trying to figure out where things actually went, making sure it was correct, understanding, you know, the terminology and everything that was put in there. We were finally able to get through it, but the first 10 tricks was very much a like pause after every trick. Okay, wait, did we do this right? What happens next? Right. Who does, does this? But the flow started to make sense. We started to get it down and, and it was going through. And yeah, I really enjoy this one. Yeah, it was super cool. Yeah. Uh, it's neat seeing games where trick taking is kind of driving a larger system. Um, there aren't a ton of examples of it. Um, usually like area control stuff like uh, Jiraku or um, Brian Boru, Brian Boru. Yeah. where like the, the trick taking is is a small part of the game in, in the latter one. Um, and with May Follow, it, it doesn't even feel totally like trick taking. But uh, no, this was a really cool system. Um, again, this is another one that I would love to play again with kind of a rewritten rule book, uh, you know, to, to kind of get into it faster and easier. But yeah, super neat. 
Yeah, as I said, this is easily my game of the weekend. I am absolutely already working on stuff to to get it all pasted up and everything as well because I want to play this game and explore it some more. fact that it is a longer 70-minute game makes you have that investment to it, but the trick-taking itself doesn't feel like it's overstaying its welcome. You still feel like you're involved and the tricks do matter and when you decide to take other actions matter. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to digging into this one more. And no, that was not a pun. <laughs> Did not mean I to do gonna that. I was going to say, it caught you again. <laughs> I didn't try that one. It wasn't on purpose. <laughs> okay, moving on to, we have a few more to get through here. Next one yep. was Sumida River by Mashi Kamoru. And this one pleasantly surprised me. Yeah, I'm a big fan. This is one of my favorites of the last uh, Tokyo Game Market kind of bunch. And I'm, a, I'm really upset because I don't have a copy of it. It was not one that I was aware of while I was there. And I found out about it after I came back. And now they're all gone. Um, so I'm still kind of on the hunt. If anybody has a copy of Sumida River and wants to give me a shout, let me know. Um, but I believe I did I teach this one. It was Nov's copy. Yes, uh, it was Nov's copy, taught it. but you taught it. Because I'd played it a couple times uh, a few weeks ago. Yep. Um, it's really cool. It's just, it's a uh, I've heard it described as a must not follow meld climber. You've got eight different areas you can play into, uh, and as long as you play something in your meld that is uh, at least uh, starting with the the uh, highest of the a previous meld. So if there's a pair of black eights, you could play a run starting with an eight. Uh, and that would be valid. Um, yeah, super neat. I, I like the um, the the option to pass your hand at the beginning by adding a a, a, uh, a, wild. a wild card in to make it a little better. Uh, it just has a lot of cool stuff going on. What what did you think of it, Ryan? I was a huge fan of it. I went into it with pretty low expectations, knowing that I think it's okay. And this is also coming from the background that I prefer trick taking over climbing games. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was like, well, the way those different melds are set up and how it's explained seems a little bit more than it's worth. It might be mm-hmm. more chaotic and a little harder to figure out. But no, it it was very smooth. The decision space is really cool of when you decide to play to certain areas. Do you break up certain cards to be able to play in certain locations? Because all of the three card locations allow you to add one card of the other suit three black cards that you play could actually be two black cards and a red card. So you have different ways of playing the same cards, which I always like in climbing games. I like when a single card can be used in multiple meld types, which I mean, you know, most climbing games can do that, Mm -hmm. but this one does it very, very uh, in a very clever way, which I like. Yeah. I'm also, I tend to be more of a trick taking fan. um, And I'm realizing the climbers I like are the weirder ones. Uh, so like mm-hmm. this and um, Shinobu no Gaku, which we'll talk about uh, a bit later. Um, I like when the structure of the climbing is unusual and, and has a little more going on. Being able to play different melds is absolutely wild and completely weird yeah. to normal uh, climbing games. Usually it's I played a single. We all play singles till it clears. Oh, you played a run. We play runs like this is no, I played a single. You can't play a single unless it's exactly. the other colors. Very cool. I Any game I fall in love with, I think as most people know, I find ways to either get the thing or make print and plays, make it available in some way. So I've already made a copy for myself of this because the oh nice the deck in the game is essentially a pairs deck, which anyone familiar yep. with that, 
the number of the card is how many copies are in the deck. So if it's a three, there's three copies, a four, four copies, all the way up to ten tens. But in this one, it's slightly weird because it's half red and half black in each number. So what I did is I took my pairs deck that I own that had white numbers in it, and I literally sharpied the numbers in in black or red. <laughs> so that's great. It works perfectly. And then I just printed out little player cards for the middle things to tell you what the different melds are. So really looking forward to trying that out again physically with my group. I also made a PCAO room for it after I played it. Uh, oh, nice. A couple weeks ago. So and I was able to and it was just, you know, PCIO is easy. You just get like the standard deck and I made it all like diamonds and spades or something and was able to set it up that way. That's great. Uh, and then, yeah, just just set up the uh, the middle, the river cards. Um, so I was able to teach some folks, uh, teach folks that came that way, which was yeah. super cool. Good to know there's an option online for it. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so moving on to the next game, which you did sit out on was the Kakapo Buddy and Party by Chatra Games. This is the new cooperative crew game. It's essentially a mission-based cooperative trick-taking game where uh, there are these birds on the board that you're trying to surround with polynomial pieces. We only played two hands of it. We did the very first basic mission, and then we skipped ahead to the last basic mission to get a sense of the game i would have loved to explore it more but of course in this weekend you know we're trying to hammer out as many new games or games on our playlist that we want to as possible so we didn't get to do it too far but i am getting a copy of this in the next week or two so i should be able to play it some more i know you are okay bowing out because you typically don't like cooperative games like this i think you said yeah i'm not a big co-op person and i had it's funny because i keep having opportunities to get in on a game and i keep passing and doing other things um <laughs> i think at this the, point I, you, you even know, did duolingo again <laughs> yeah i did i yeah. was like oh well, i do need to do my duolingo for the day so let me run and do that um and uh yeah i don't co-ops and i don't get along all that well and often it's better if i just don't like <laughs> no that's fair I, I mean that's you know sometimes it's a very specific you know style of game cooperative games yep. can be hard to get with so this one is a game where if you really like the crew i think you'll really like the kakapo if you don't mm. like the crew i don't think you're gonna like this game i, I don't yeah. really see it changing you because the polynomial part's pretty cool and it certainly changes it up but ultimately it's still mission-based co-op trick-taking game sure yeah, it's the polyomino stuff that that I was intrigued by, but mm-hmm. when I heard it as like, oh, it's it's really it's just kind of more of the crew uh, style game that it made me a little less less interested. Yeah, that's fair. Well, the next game we played was the one and only non card game we played for the weekend. That's right. Yes, and well, there's a technical exception to that, but we'll cover it when we get there. Okay, that's yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, this was Stellar Gauge, a Cube Rail 18xx light game designed by Pontus Nielsen. And this game took longer than Stella Digger, <laughs> as it, it should, which thankfully, if, if we played this quicker than that game, then I think Stella Digger... Something's gone wrong. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I love Stellar Gauge. I've played this game so many times now. As I said, if I love something, I make a way to play it. And this is no exception. But this was Daniel's first time playing it. Uh, since Nav and I wanted to get a couple of the new stuff that we're working on. Since this game is still print and play only in the early iterations, things are changing. We wanted to get a play test in to see how new players felt about it. So Daniel, tell us how you felt about it. 
Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I've um I haven't played any 18xx. I have played a few cube rails. I was I was kind of super into them for a, a short period of time, just trying to get you know as many under my belt as possible. Um, but I I really enjoyed this. I and then there were a couple things that I was not used to because they were more borrowed from 18xx. And then you know afterwards we were we were talking about it, and I was like, you know, this would be a lot more fun if this thing didn't happen. And you're like, oh well, that happens in 18xx. I was like, oh okay, well, <laughs> I'm telling you what would be more fun. Um, but, uh, no, it was really cool. I'm glad I was able to play it. I, you know, I've heard you talking about it. I've heard Nav talking about it. Um, cause he, he's local to me and I, I see him pretty often. Uh, so it was cool to get it on the table and, and, uh, I haven't played a cube rail in a while. So it was, uh, it was a nice change of pace just to kind of break things up for the weekend too. Yeah. Throw some cubes out there in between some cards. It's definitely great. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and we, even with it being a four player game, two people who are new, with teach and everything, we still were done in maybe two hours, two hours and change. Yeah, it didn't feel too long. It you know it, it felt pretty good. Yeah, it definitely moves along pretty quickly. Moving on to our next game, which I think was probably my second game uh, favorite all time of the weekend was uh, Makai Fuda, which is designed right. by Kanbu Club, and we played this multiple times. This was my most played game over the weekend as far as repetition goes. Yeah. Yeah. We played two back to back the first time. This is one that um, was one of my favorites from this last TGM batch too. And one that a lot of people didn't, uh, didn't pick up. Like, I feel like I don't know who else had it before I brought it back. But it, when I was at uh, T9, I was, I was playing a lot, showing it to folks too. Um, but it's a must not follow game. Uh, and you are not bidding on how many tricks you are going to win. You are making a wager on which suit you think will win the most in a hand, and you're tracking which suit wins. Um, and you're you're making that bet by choosing a card from your hand that you are dealt and putting it you know face down secretly and then revealing at the end. It's extremely clever. I think it uses the must not follow system really well. As we said, being spoiled for choice now with the amount of must not follows that are out yeah. there. This is definitely one of the standouts. It's really clever with the bidding for the suits. There's also, in most must-not-follow games, there's always, well, what's the rule? What happens when you can't, or when you, you have to play one of the can't suits in the trick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you do? You know, some games, the round just ends. There's others where, like in Enemy and Enemy, you play the card face down and score a point. Well, in this one, you get to actually add to a suit already in play, making it more likely that that suit will win. Yeah. And usually when you do that, it's a telltale sign that that's the suit you voted for to win the round. People right. can start to get the idea of, oh, that's probably who you picked. But also it might just just been the only suit you could have played. So who knows? There's a, a fun layer to it of that hidden bid of what you're going for and trying to discover people as they play throughout the round. And then there's also there, there can wind up being kind of a, a hidden partnership thing that happens. There were a couple rounds. Ryan loves to announce uh, <laughs> what he was secretly bidding on. Uh, and we were not sure if he was kidding, but apparently Ryan doesn't lie. So uh, every time he was like, I'm going blue. Was like, yeah, sure you are. And he was. And But there were a couple times where I was like, you know, I'm also going blue. We were able to work together and and make blue win. And that felt really fun uh, to kind of realize kind of halfway through the hand that you're working it towards the same goal um so that was that was pretty neat too yeah it takes away almost the the shared gameplay of doppelkopf 
trying to figure out yeah. who your hidden partner is through trick play and then realizing three, four or five tricks. And you're like, Oh, is, is Daniel my oh, partner? It's them. It's them. Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. it is. Let me play this and see how they react again. Oh, okay. He did play. Yep. Yes. He's my, like, we're, we're same color. We're both going blue. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Really so that was, that discover. was super cool. I think that was, that might've been the first time. Cause I played this a, a number of times now. And I think that was the first time that actually happened uh, where you had that kind of like, Oh, we're working together moment. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was neat. Yeah. It's very nice. And again, continuing on the games I fell in love with and immediately found a way to play. I've been able to find a way to proxy this. Plus, I bought a copy because this game okay. just, yeah, it's it's so good. I yeah. absolutely want uh, an official copy of this. So that should be coming to me soon. I'm hoping I have to start reaching out to folks, but I'm going back to Tokyo Game Market in April. And this is one I'm hoping I can get a bunch of copies of to bring back uh, to sell through my store. Um, so I think it's great and uh, people shouldn't sleep on it. It's really one of my favorites from this last this last batch. For sure. This past Tokyo game market in general has actually been oh, really been, good. I picked the right one to go to for the first time. <laughs> yes, for sure. it did. <laughs> There's been a lot of good stuff. A couple episodes ago, Patrick and I had talked about how we weren't going to be crazy buying. Obviously, we have our 12-game challenge, but we didn't want to buy like a bunch of TMG games because sometimes you just buy 50 of them and 49 of them yeah. aren't good. Well, I think this... DGM is actually like an exception to that where you could probably buy 50 and 45 of them are going to be really good. <laughs> There's definitely been more good than bad in the in the bunch that I brought back. So yeah, I did buy about 50, awesome. I think. And it's there's only been like maybe four or five, six that I've I've wanted there to pass you go. along. So nice. Shall we move on to the next one? Yeah. Okay. The next game was Man Eating House, designed by Kunihiko Chochichu. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I apologize. <laughs> Can you try, Daniel? I think your Japanese is a little yeah. better than mine. Let me see. Oh, I don't have it up. I'm sorry. Where is the designer? Give me one second. I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, uh, Kunihiko Tsuchiya. Beautiful. Designer. Kunihiko yes. Tsuchiya. Much better than me. <laughs> well, Man-Eating House. This is a long sought after game by many people. If anyone has a copy of this, everybody always jokingly asks, are you going to sell this to me? Oh, you probably don't yeah. like this game. You're going to get rid of your copy. And that without fail happened with Nav's copy of Man Eating House that we played. Because yes. this is a four-player yep. partnership game. And the three other people at the table all asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> I even tried to blackmail him because I was his ride home. Uh, and he didn't go for it. Oh, almost. Maybe could have worked. Almost. <laughs> but yeah man-eating house is a 2v2 team game sort of in the same sense of like yokai septet where you're trying to capture specific cards and funny enough there are yokai there's monsters in this one too that you're trying to get all of the points and score more points than your opponents the thing with this game though it's a little bit crazier than just simply seven suits and sevens capturing things there's um weapons that can capture the monsters there's little kids that can escape together there's danger rooms that can stop all of these there's an old man and a dog like there's a flow chart <laughs> to follow how a trick can resolve potentially but once you get through that which actually isn't as daunting as it seems it's a really yeah, it's, really good game it's really not that bad i this was one that's been on my radar for a really long time and uh you know as you said it's it's really hard to get a hold of uh and I, I had people warning me, they're like, oh, it's really complicated. There's a lot of things you got to you know, keep in mind and you know, check the chart every time you play a card. I didn't find it to be actually that, 
that difficult to to track all the things that interact with each other, especially after the first hand. You kind of internalize a lot of it. Yeah, um, super cool. I'm, uh, you know, still scheming and, and trying to find a copy of this uh, at some point. But uh, yeah, get, that was it. Was fun online. to finally get this one played. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, this is uh the I think the fourth time I'd played that. Cool. Played it at PGC Con last year for the first time, but then I played it three times back to back to back because it's so good. And nice. So it was nice to get some more reps in of that game for sure. Yeah. And you don't know when you're going to be able to play it again, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I don't have Nav just right in my back pocket like you do, unfortunately. Exactly. Exactly. I should probably proxy this too. As much as I like it, you'd think this is the one I've I, you already know, done. There is a really cool PNP floating around uh, that uses the art of Junji Ito, who does oh, you, like horror you were mentioning that. Uh, anime. And I, I have made a copy of it, um, but I keep it kind of off away from my shelf and I, I completely forget that I have it. <laughs> so I need to like bring it over and remind myself to get it to the table more. Although you're right, I do have Nov now. I can just go play with Nov's copy. Yeah, makes it easy enough. Well, next game I think I'm going to let you introduce. And there's a good reason why. Now, is this was this my game? It was. That we played? It was. Okay. Cuz I don't log my I don't log my own uh playtest. I don't log playtest, so I don't have it on my Got list, it. but uh okay. so uh I didn't pick up on your hint uh quite so clearly as I needed to. Anyway, this was a uh, Gachapon trick which is a game I, uh, a game of my design that I've been working on um, that was inspired by my trip to Tokyo and Gachapon Parlors, which if you're not familiar, they're like these machines with these little toys in, in like plastic bubbles. And you put your money in, you turn the thing, and uh, uh, the toy comes out. And usually there's like five different options that you might get. You don't know what you're going to get. Uh, so the game is designed around this idea of collecting sets of of toys um, and there's seven suits and seven toys and seven ranks and they're all kind of mixed up so there's you know no two cards have the same combination and it's what i've been testing for a couple of months and i'm feeling pretty good about about where it is at this point and there's also this kind of gamble element of it which is super fun and ryan uh thankfully uh leaned into that that gamble section which, i engaged uh, hard into it <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was great to see that because uh not everybody some people are a little risk averse and, and they don't take advantage of it. And I think it's one of the more fun parts of the game. So that was that was cool to see. Uh, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Ryan. I really enjoyed it. We actually played this game twice, which by definition of all the games we played over the weekend would be the second most played game based on number of plays. Yeah, and we played awesome. it. Yeah, we played it back to back. We did a three player game and then a four player game after somebody was sort of watching the end of our three player game. And yeah, I absolutely love it. It. It is such a straightforward play that it's simple enough to teach. It sort of has the Texas showdown style of majority of suit determines which one wins, which I love. But then it adds a set collection and a little bit of the press your luck by drawing the bargain card and forced to spend money to buy one of the cards. But then you can choose to buy more gives the players the agency of how hard they want to push and how early because once you run out of money or get down to, I think, like 100 yen, you can't buy yeah. anything else. Realizing how much of the game is left and deciding maybe I shouldn't buy this also means when you play into the tricks, playing a higher number that's going to lose could mess with the other players. Sure, that's a robot that they want to buy because they already have two robots, but make them pay 800 for it versus 200 for it. Right. Or you have to be careful playing a high card, leading a high card, because everybody else could then just lead high cards and then you're stuck having to buy one of these expensive cards you don't want so yeah there's a lot of considerations there 
Uh, yeah, no, super about, cool. Yeah. And I know but, you always like to joke that I don't like any of your games, <laughs> seeing as on our last episode, I, I uh, trashed Mori, it seems. A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. But I really enjoyed this game. I also love That's Reapers. Cool. So you're you're two for however many you've got with me. I've lost track. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's um, great. I was, I'm glad to have a Ryan approved uh, design of mine. There you go. Yeah. Now this one, I I don't know how easily I could get a proxy or print to play going, but I'm sure I will be getting a copy of whatever the official one is it comes out. Do you know around I mean, when you, that might be? I, I'm still. It's very early. Um, I haven't decided. I'll probably do it as a pre-order on my site at some point, unless um, I'm, you know, every once in a while a publisher approaches me or, or I show it to them or whatever, and, and uh, it could go with somebody else. But it's very early days. Like I said, I you know I just started designing it in uh, in December when I got back, so it's it's only been I've only been hammering on it for a couple of months. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely you know I'll, I'll be talking about it more for sure. Uh, cool. And I could send you a print and play, Ryan, if you're that interested to get more more plays. We can oh, talk off chat. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I'd love that, though. We can definitely talk. Yeah, we'll we'll sure. talk more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, next up, moving right along, we have Kikuri, which is designed by Ei Tanakawa. And this is a shared hand trick taker where you deal out four hands in a four player game. But the thing is, you put the cards uh, in between you and the player on your left and right. So you essentially have two hands that are available to you, one on your left, one on your right. And the player to your left, obviously, is sharing that hand and then the hand on their left. And it goes around in a circle with all of them being shared. And there's two suits in this game. One's pink, one's black. Essentially, the pink are positive points, the black are negative points. Face value. Yeah, the face value of whatever the number is. And you can only play cards from the outermost part on the two hands. So you essentially have four options from cards to play. And this game's brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had played it before. Uh, and and uh, probably which what led to my, my win <laughs> that game. But yeah, it can be pretty nasty. The way it works is everybody plays a card. And then the highest number played takes the next highest value. Uh and so on down to the lowest takes the card that was in the middle. But if there's a mix of pink and black, you could wind up playing a high pink card and then have to take a high black card. And that's a lot of negative points. Uh, so being able to like weave in between numbers and able to get a positive is, is really the key to the game, but you have limited options. Uh, I think it's a ton of fun, but uh, yeah, it can be pretty, pretty rough if you're not left with, with the cards you need when you need them. Just to give an idea for people listening, the score in our four-player <laughs> game, Daniel won with 17 points. Uh, mm -hmm. Jacob had five points. I had negative 32. And Nav, in last place, had negative 95. Yeah. <laughs> it was a Poor bad Nav. game for him. Oh, <laughs> man. There was one round he had the 17, 16, and 15 of negative points. <laughs> I think in one hand, he doubled his negative score. Yeah. He had like 48, and then he took 47 more negative points. Uh, oh, it was, was not not his game of the no, night. Not at all. But I think we all had a good time with it. Yeah, it was very cute. The The theme of it's pretty funny. The I guess it's based on a manga, correct? Or, or an, an anime. anime. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's about a rock band, and the <laughs> bassist, whose name is uh, Kikuri, uh, really likes her sake. Uh, and will often get very drunk and break things. So the pink cards were her having a good time with the sake, and the black cards were her having not a good time with the sake. Uh, 
So yeah, it was a fun, it was fun theme. And actually I didn't realize that the sake was involved and I thought it was just about a rock band. And now the art makes so much more sense. Black, it looks like she's almost hung over and the pink, she's just very excited and happy. (laughs) So yeah, makes sense. Uh, If anyone's ever heard of the game, I think I've mentioned it in a previous episode, Let Me Off. That Mm -hmm. is uh, another style game that uses the the shared hand incentive. And I think I preferred Kikuri over that one. I played them both at um, at T9, and pretty much everybody felt the opposite, that they preferred Let Me Off hmm. to Kikuri. So it's just funny how different groups will kind of pick out different things in, in similar games and have preferences. But uh, both very cool games, for sure. Totally. I think mine, I guess, more was just because of our group and the fun we were having with it. Yeah. It was a little more sure. lighthearted. I feel like Let Me Off's a little bit more serious. and okay you want to win tricks and if you can't follow you just don't play anything so you have to be very serious about which cards you play when to make sure the person before you can't play that suit or whatever i don't know and serious is a little more a little more cutthroat yeah exactly yeah uh anything else to say on that or should we move on no we can keep going okay next up is owl about by tom matsuoka I have mentioned this game many a time. Which is why I purchased it. I think. It was, yeah. <laughs> this was one of those, yeah, I, I had just started listening to your podcast as I was starting to get into uh, trick-taking more a year or so ago. Um, and this was one that I remember you speaking really highly of. And I was like, oh, that sounds really neat. Let me get a copy of it. And then the more I listened to you talk about trick-taking games and figured out what kind of games you like, what kind of games I like, realized that maybe this isn't one that I'm going to super love. But uh, I really wanted to play it, and I thought it was—I thought it'd be really great to play it with you, since you were uh, historically a big fan of it. So I had you teach it. I did. You've talked about it a bunch, so you could probably summarize it uh, easier and faster than I would be able to. So all about is all about. Tra- it's all about. <laughs> it's all about. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> That's three. That is. Dang it! What am I doing, <laughs> uh, Patrick? Um, you are essentially trying to take the second most number of trophies in a round trophies being tricks with the exception of these night owl cards which have two trophies but essentially based on your player count there's a certain point threshold you're going to once somebody meets or exceeds that threshold whoever has the least amount of points wins so the person who's in first will score the number of trophies they collected equal to that number whereas everybody else takes their number, subtracts it from the first player, and scores that many points. So if Daniel is in first with four trophies and I have three trophies, Daniel's getting four points, but I'm only getting one point, four minus three. So you're always trying to be second in the round, essentially. And there's these crazy powers and abilities that will be triggered uh, based on the number of the card that wins the trick. And well, that'll sort of get into our discussion. But yeah. again, you play over a certain number of rounds until somebody reaches that threshold. Yeah, um, I, I really liked the way the scoring worked. I thought that was super cool. We spent, I feel like, a lot of time understanding the powers, but then they didn't really trigger as often as you would think, um, mm-hmm. which was kind of disappointing and left it feeling a little flat. Um, so, yeah, not not one of my favorites of the weekend. Um, and I guess you, I don't know if you feel as strongly about it as you used to even. You're, you're saying that and alluding like you don't actually know the answer, which I love. Perfect. (laughs) I'm just teeing you up, Ryan. (laughs) It's great. I love it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. After that game, I said to Daniel, I was like, by the way, I'm, I'm also getting kind of lukewarm on this game now. Mm. So it's not just you. It feels flat like that. I've played this game, I think 
close to 20 times now, maybe oh, wow. even a little more, which for a lot of these trick-taking games that we play, that's a lot. Usually you get like yeah, 10 sure. max, anything usually one or two. So I've really discovered some of it and I've seen the exact same thing. Yeah. The abilities on a lot of those middle cards are really interesting and can be cool, but they almost never trigger. The ones, the twos, the nines, and the tens are really the only things that win tricks. But the occasional six and sometimes the three, once you're going Maybe into an eight. Yeah. Because like, sure, you know they're going to get a point, so let's try and find a way to make them get the point. Right. You spend a lot of time explaining all those abilities for them to not happen. And we've talked about that on the show a lot, where... If you have to spend almost half your time explaining the cool twist and hook of the game and it never comes, is it worth it? Why are you spending that time? I always tell people, when you play Owl About, do one hand without any abilities. It's so much to explain. Just get the flow of the game down and then add them in, which we did. We played a hand. We, we tested did. without them. And then yep. we played with them and still felt kind of the same for everybody. Like it nobody did. seemed like it was really that different. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little disappointing. I'm glad I played it. It's been on my shelf for probably close to a year. Um, and part of this weekend for me was to like bring all those games that have been sitting on for a while and, and actually get to the table. So uh, I was glad to have played it you know, from that perspective. Anyway, mm, Totally. But I think that's one of the ones that was on your, your sale pile, right? <laughs> it <laughs> is. Yeah, yeah. That's that definitely went on the sale pile. Probably about halfway through that game. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> well, moving on to the next one. We yeah. have Shinobu no Gaku, or Stealth School, or Stealth Ninja, or whatever everyone else wants Ninja to call school. it. It's Ninja School. Shinobu it's, School. <laughs> it's got like eight different names at this point. Uh, designed yeah. by Emi Kuji. And this is another one of those weird climbing games uh, that yeah. we were able to play. I think it was a, we played at five players. Yes. We played at five? Yeah, oh, it was yeah, the two Jacobs, you, me, and Nav. So it was a five-player yep, yep. game, which I think hurt it a little bit for me personally yeah i think it's probably better at four i'm pretty sure my other plays have been at four um i like this one quite a bit um i know the the teach was also rough because i was trying we didn't have an english copy of the rules i was trying to remember how to play it having it been taught to me three weeks ago and having played twice uh so there was a little bit of, of kind of like wait is this how this works i think this is it and also, this um, was after got... like 23 games were played before yes. this in two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Late in the evening on day two. Yeah, we played 20 games before that. Just like everything starts to mush together. Mm -hmm. um, but I, this is another one of those from from this last uh, game market batch that I had missed uh, and has, has quickly become one of my favorites, despite it being a climber and not a trick taker. Um, this one I do. I, had, I think I have found a copy uh, that's on, on its way to me. Nice. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, but yeah, you have uh, there's you have two hands. Taylor did a video of this, actually, if anybody wants to check it out. Watching that will explain this better than I'm about to. Um, but you have two cards out in the field um, and you can play either lower than the lowest or higher than the highest. Uh, you can play in singles, pairs or triples. Uh, but there are some restrictions on um, the balancing of that of that kind of central board uh, and then you also have two hands that you can play from one that's face up in front of you and one that you're holding uh, and you can either play or draw into that hand from the table um, once each for your two hands uh, and you're trying to shed your shed your hand that's a pretty quick 
summary. Yeah, it's uh, pretty good. Again, watch Taylor's video if you want a little more detail. Um, it's super clever. It's super cool. And another one of those climbers that doesn't feel like a kind of traditional climber because uh, there's just so much other stuff going on. But it all, I think it all works really well together. Yeah, the manipulating of your hands, because, of course, the hand that's on the table is open for everyone else to see. So you don't want to get too crazy with your melds there to show how powerful you are. But at the same time, you'd have to play those cards eventually at some yeah. point. So you don't want to leave yourself with garbage. And when you take cards back from the middle of the table, you can only take back when there's a single or a pair. As soon as it gets to three cards, they're essentially locked in on the table. Deciding to take something back when there are singles and pairs out there can be an interesting decision because there are five copies of every number, one to 13, but you can only ever play three cards max. So if you're holding four or five cards of a number in the same hand, then you're going to be stuck playing triples and then a single or a pair later, which could actually hurt you. So maybe you can find a way to put a pair in your hand and then a pair on the table. Trying to manipulate that, I think, is really cool. But I think that's where the issue I found in the five-player game with most climbing games at that player count, you play cards, and by the time it's your turn again, it's drastically changed. Yeah. So it's yeah. hard to manage that. and time when things are happening. Oh, the pair threes came out. I really want those. Oh, those are gone. I can't. Oh, the pair fours. Yeah. Oh, I like. Oh, those are gone. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say try it again at a lower count. Um, I, I just really enjoy the gameplay, even if I'm doing terribly. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's super clever. I, I enjoyed it yeah. as well, even at the, the five player, which makes it seem like I'm not. I had a good time with it. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Speaking of having a good time, <laughs> oh. a game we did not have a good time with is no. Gossip Trip Tricks by Maida J. I think that's as much as we want to say on this game, right? <laughs> that's that's, yeah, okay. that's a little too just, harsh, you know, I it's, think. <laughs> it's one of so sometimes with games from Tokyo Game Market, you know, it seems like a good idea. You read the rules. You're like, oh, I can see how that could work. And then you play it. And you get the feeling that maybe they didn't play test it very much. And they didn't make sure that the, yeah, the idea that they had, they didn't actually like work on enough and kind of make sure it resolved well. And this is one of those to me um, where it just, yeah, it didn't quite come together the way I was hoping. Uh, and we don't have to spend much, much more time on it than that, really. Yeah, pretty much. Now, just in case for anyone who might be listening that wants to give it a try, though, because who knows, it might work for your group. The four of us played it. None of us had a good time. It fell very flat. Yeah. It's four suits, one to 11. It's very easy to proxy. There's nothing yeah. really special to it. You're essentially laying the cards as a tableau on the table. And the winner of the trick will essentially place all the cards in a row, whatever that suit is. And if there's any numbers in a row, you score points equal to that. Points are bad. It's essentially just a trick avoidance game. If you never take a trick, you're going to win or yep. be tied for win if someone else does it. So there's just it's not really much more else to it than that. But if you want to give it a try, that's the kind of game that it's going to be. So if you like trick avoidance games, yeah, you may dig it. give it a shot. You can easily proxy it. Yeah. And I am selling my copy if anybody's interested. There you go. <laughs> if you want a nice cheap copy, I'm sure you can grab Daniels pretty that's easily. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So let's move on to the next one, which let's was fun. Do it, yes. The next one is Basket Trite 2 on 2 by Jura Tanuki. And this one, I think we were saying multiple times as we were playing it that this game was more fun than it had any right to be. 
I think a lot of it was the group and just like the energy we were bringing into it more than the game itself. Um, it's one of those situations where you're like, am I, am I, am I enjoying this because it's a good game or because I'm just enjoying the play? Um, I think it was, it is a, no, I think Sorry, it was, no, no, you're good. I think it was a little bit of that and the fact that we had just finished Gossip Trip Tricks. So at that point, it was, <laughs> it was like a anything... relief <laughs> playing something better. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anything was better than that at that point. And this is another it's a, obviously 2v2 game team based where you're playing basketball. The different suits are sort of thematically different things you'll do in a basketball game. And you're trying to pass or dribble the ball and then shoot it to score points. And essentially to score, it's just you announce your shooting. And as long as you win that trick, you'll score the points. It's either two or three if you win with a three-pointer card. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. A lot of it was because of the trash talking because we were playing a basketball game. So we had to, you know, we had to trash talk a little bit. Yeah, there was some good uh, role play going on. There was some good role play. We, we declared early on, Ryan and I were on the same team. And we declared early on that we were just going to dominate. Uh, and then we did. So that was that was pretty great. Uh, there did seem like the the cards themselves could have been a little simplified. Like, I understood what they were going for and having all of these, like, this breakdown of where you were. If you were the the, the leader, like the the, um, the ball handler, ball uh, man. you had a certain number. Ball man, thank you. Off if you were the ball, ball man, you had a certain number. If you were on the ball man's team, you had a certain number. So those four sets of numbers on the cards, which in most cases seemed that it didn't really matter. Um, and I, I could see it kind of being simplified a bit and just streamlining that. Um, but otherwise I thought it was fun. Uh, it was pretty straightforward uh, and just, yeah, a good time. It was really cool. The uh, air horn app you were using at the end of every quarter. Ah, yes. It was great. It was adding to the ambiance of the game. It just, yeah, it worked really well for our group. We just were, we're leaning into it a lot for sure. We had a good time. And the, and the air horn would bring other people over at the end of every quarter, uh, which was what eight tricks or something. I would, I would sound the air horn on my phone and then everybody was like, what is happening over there? So we had some people kind of watching the end of the game, which was, yeah. which was fun. That's a good time. Yeah. Well, moving on to our last two games of the weekend. We're moving through pretty quickly. This is, this is good. Yeah. We're almost there. And it seems like. Most of the games that were not so good we had towards the later end of the weekend. And I'm almost wondering now if that was a little bit of fatigue and or games not being as good. Because I truly think Gossip well, I, Trip just wasn't that good. But It just wasn't that good. I, yeah. There's a little fatigue, but it's also like you get excited to play the games you're most excited about early. Right? Yeah. It was like, I really want to play this, really want to play this. Oh, I played these. What's next on my list? And then you start bringing out the ones like, this one might be good. This one might not be good, but I want to play it anyway. So we had a few of those uh, late on Saturday. Um, so the next one we're going to talk about is Paradominator, which I had played once before. And I felt kind of lukewarm on it. But, you know, I wanted to try it on a different player account with different people because you never know. Um, and it didn't really wow me again. Um, so this is a it's a must follow trick taking game with um, uh, tiles rather than cards and you are flicking them underneath a little screen and then uh, whoever takes wins the trick gets the stack of them and that's a point and if there's a paradox which is if two players play the same number and color you flip those tiles over and whichever is closest to the past because they have past present and future written on them um, if they tie, so whoever has the past gets the point, and anybody else who tied with them gets a single tile for half a point. 
Um, so you wind up kind of chopping up a lot of points for the tricks and it kind of evens things out a little too much, I think. Yeah, it also makes the whole game about just matching. You're you're trying right. to create paradoxes. It's not really a trick taking game. It's more of a matching game. Yeah, because half a point's better than zero points and letting exactly. somebody get a full point. And one of the players started running away pretty early because they were getting a lot of paradoxes, but they were always the one closer to the present. So they had like four right. or five points really early on while everyone else had maybe one or half a point. And again, poor yeah. Nav <laughs> having nothing for a very long time. And then, yeah, he wound up getting a bunch of paradoxes late late in the game. and, and uh, Yeah. Yeah, so the final scores were like six and a half to four and a half to four to four to two. And it's just like, it was very anticlimactic when it was all done. It was like, oh, I guess we played a game. Which is too bad because the production value on this is pretty excellent. Like, it looks really nice. And the idea of having, like, tiles instead of cars that you kind of slide under your board and, like, all this stuff with the time travel things. There was a lot of potential in that box. And I think it just didn't quite live up to it. Yeah, it's a lot of effort. Even just set up alone takes a lot of time yeah. you have to separate the three different stacks past present future shuffle them up give everybody five of each then they have to put up their player stand to hide them all and then line them up in order and then you have to then pass trading two your three let. tiles yeah, yeah. so it, adding that and then having to resort them and then trying to flick your tile under the little slit without flicking any of the other ones over or, or knocking your screen or knocking <laughs> your screen yeah it it's a lot of extra without any additional reward from it i think the juice isn't quite worth the squeeze yeah i would agree so that one is that's another one that's gone onto my uh my trade pile i actually think it's gonna go into mine too i'm trying to give myself one more play of it but i i really don't think it will be any different yeah this was my second and that that was enough for me to kind of decide it's it's not quite not quite a game for me yeah well at least we ended the weekend on a slightly better note the last yeah. game we played was Ayados by Mashi Komoru, which we just talked about one of their games earlier, Sumida River, which we yep. both liked. And I think yep. we both liked Iados as well. Yeah, Iados was uh, their game from the previous year, I believe. The, I think yes. spring 2022. Um, I like this one a lot. Um, the scoring could use a little bit of adjustment. And I've actually I've started coming up with another kind of scoring scheme that i'm trying to i'm trying out um and why is that daniel please tell (laughs) well i'm considering publishing it um you know i want to make sure i can get the scoring uh kind of lined up to because it's a i think it's a great game that's suffering from from poor scoring which is something that happens with a lot of these japanese games um scoring seems to often be kind of the last consideration right Totally. Um, and I think there's a lot of potential in this one, uh, and I really enjoy playing it. So we'll see. We'll see. I haven't made any commitments yet, but it's definitely, um, I'm seriously considering it for publication. The tension in this game is really good. The sort yeah. of game of chicken you play with everybody. In this game, you are given your hand, you can't sort it, and you have this divider card that you'll put somewhere in your hand. And depending on how far from the right you do it, is also the number of tricks that you're bidding that you're going to take in the round. So if you put the divider card uh, four over from the right, there will essentially be three cards to the right of it, so you're bidding three tricks. That also determines the play style of your hand. Everything that's to the left of that divider is your normal hand. Everything to the right is your refuse hand. In the trick play, it's must follow, 
But if you have a card on the left side of your hand that can follow, you can refuse to play that and then play one of the cards on the right. But once you've played all of the cards on the right and that divider card is the last one showing face up, you then play it on the table to show that you're out of refuse cards. You want to do that as late as possible, though. The later you do it and the more people's uh, more people uh, what am I trying to say when you place your card on top of more people the more points you're going to score so you're playing this game of chicken of trying to wait until as long as possible to refuse to play that but if you wait too long to maximize that scoring yeah exactly to maximize scoring but if you wait too long then you're going to play everything from your left side of your hand and then if there's nothing but your divider on the left side you then bust and you play that card face down and you're out for the round and you score nothing so there's definitely yep. some yep. nervous tension there about when do you actually get out because you might lose the chance to even be able to go out if you wait too long. As Daniel was saying, the scoring in the current original version, you do all this work and you get like one, maybe two points. Yeah. And it feels so bad when you get so stressed out and you're like, well, I missed my bid. I lose a lot of points. I only get one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I think the the potential for that game is really high to be really great. Uh, and it just needs some, I think it just needs some tweaking. Uh, and I've already tried, you know, I had ran a couple of tests. Uh, God, was that last night? It was. And uh, and it already feels way better. And it's just a matter of kind of like zeroing in on the right values. Um, and I've talked to the designer already and he's on board with that change and uh, is interested in having me do it. So we'll see. It would probably be, you know, early summer next year if everything kind of goes through. But uh, yeah, stay tuned for that that news bite. Wonderful. Exclusive stuff here. And I'm sure it'll be in a New Mill Industries letter. So if you are not signed up to get the email notifications to that, uh, you should go ahead and sign up to that now. Where is the exact or best way they can do that, Daniel? So you can go to newmillindustries.com and click on the contact link uh, on the main page. And there's a sign up there. Uh, that's that's the easiest way to get on that. And that's where I've been announcing everything uh, lately. Yeah. So if, if you sign up there, then then you'll find out what's coming with, with Numo. For example, uh, right now, I'm taking pre-orders for three different games. Naughty Gnomes by Daniel Kennel. Uh, Six of Eight by Carol Legro, And then uh, the Shafkoff deck that Sai Beppu made for Tokyo Game Market um, this last uh, December. Um, and those should all ship. Uh, probably around May, early, or um, is that right? You know better yeah. than I would. Yeah, early May. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm taking pre-orders like through the end of the month, and then I'll probably I'll probably order those from the uh, the printer in, in early March. Nice. That'll be here before we know it. Yeah, very soon. Yeah. Yeah, those are lovely games. Ones I've both been lucky enough to play test through multiple stages. So yeah. I think. The Six of Eight and Naughty Gnomes are two great games to add to your lineup for sure. Yeah, they're super cool, especially if you like uh, partnership games. Um, very, very interesting examples of, of partnership trick taking. There was actually a game of Naughty Gnomes being played over the weekend yep. at uh, Malt. So that was cool to see. I don't yeah. I don't think anyone played Six of Eight, right? I, think it was I just don't think Naughty so. Gnomes. I did bring yeah. them, uh, but uh, just sad. Yeah, I don't think it got to the table. Well, that was well, we our... did have. Oh, you go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say we we actually did sneak one last game of Makai Fuda. Oh at the yes, end of the night on Saturday, uh, which we don't need to talk about again. But it is. I thought it was notable that that you were like, you know what? I'd really like to play Makai Fuda one last time before we go to bed. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> so we were that. able to get that out again. 
Yeah, I put it as times yeah. three on my list just to get up. So I forgot that uh, it did come later. But yeah, that absolutely yep. makes sense. That was how we closed it out. That was the last game we played. We did. Because I think at that point we were getting late. It, w- it was not late enough to where like we needed to go to bed. We wanted to get one more. But we're like, we're all dead. We cannot Can't learn, learn another- anything new. Come yeah. on. Let's just. OK, what are we playing? And I was, it has to be that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So yeah, game of the con for sure. I didn't play anything else three times. I know that. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Well, cool. Uh, we had a, I had a great time. I know John Barron is already talking about scheduling another one at some point, maybe in the fall. Ooh, that's great. That's sooner than I was expecting. I figured it was just going to yeah, be Yeah, he was now. like, do we need to wait a year to do it again? Absolutely not. Do you think not. people would want to do it again in September? I was like, or, you know, again, like later in the year. I was like, well, if we do it after August, I could probably come because I'm out of town for the, the summer typically. Uh, so, yeah, so we'll see. Maybe we'll have cool. another one uh, early in the fall. Yeah, I look forward to that. And obviously anybody who is listening that's, on the east coast near the pennsylvania new york ish area if you join the pgc discord server we uh, were able to get it all set up in there so i'm sure there'll be information about the one in the future if you ever want to come yeah very cool well thanks for having me on this show ryan this was super fun yeah i'm glad so i was glad able to help you in. recap and save your listeners from another ryan rambles i appreciate it yeah if i had to do all of this by myself it oh, would God. have it would have gone out of control probably 10 minutes in. So that was great. Yeah, yeah. Well, before you do go, I want to ask, because this is sort of technically a guest episode. And on every sure. guest episode, we have to ask the guest this last question before they head out. So I know you weren't prepared for this. So hopefully you got a good answer. I'll do my best. Okay. So the question is, if you could jump into a board game world, what game would it be? Oh, boy. Let me look at my shelf for a second. You know what? The first thing that I see that looks like it would be fun, uh, underwater cities. Live on a in an underwater city uh, and kind of build and develop that. That could be pretty cool. Okay. So that's your final answer? The first game you saw? <laughs> sure. I looked over. I saw it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to stall for time. But no, I, I like that game. Don't worry. And, we, can uh, edit, like... we can edit the pause. You can take, take your time. <laughs> think of an answer let's just no underwater city sure why okay. not who doesn't want to live on a city under the sea that'd be pretty cool I'm a big fan of octopuses hopefully there would uh, be some octopuses wandering that's around that's true you could almost floor. like build your own dome that just is octopus viewing station absolutely i could i could make a live enemy anemone with real creatures oh there you and go have them fight each other no i wouldn't <laughs> do that but no i think underwater city is a good a good answer okay i'm gonna cool. stick with it love it perfect beautiful right. answer then thank you well last thing then do you want to have anything else that you'd like to plug before we head out besides new mill industries uh, anything of your own that you're working on yeah i mean new Mill's really the one i've got uh maury out right now from all play which uh if you don't listen to ryan other people do <laughs> like it uh check that out it's trick taking with dice um you know i mentioned new mill uh we've got so much stuff coming out over the next year and, and those those pre-orders I mentioned previously uh, out right now. And uh, yeah, that's it. There's always more stuff going on. It's hard to keep up with myself sometimes. Of course. The answer is going to be different so, if I ask you tomorrow or the next day. So I get it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you even made me leak my uh, my top secret plans for next year. So I, I got nothing left, Ryan. Dang. All <laughs> right. Well, I'll have to have you on soon again so we can try and leak out more information before you planned on it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening to another episode of Trick Talkers. You can find all of our information on our link tree, which will be in the show notes below. But if you have any questions, comments, recommendations, you can reach us at Twitter uh, at Trick Talkers or our email at tricktalkers at gmail.com. 
Thanks again and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, everybody.